Um, my wife and I, Jamie, uh, started dating our freshman year of high school, and later on, uh, when we started going to college, uh, we started uh, attending each other's family's Christmas uh, celebrations. And so my family always celebrated Christmas on Christmas Eve. That's when we always open our presents. Any other Christmas Eve families out there? No, I got some head nods like disappointment. No, we're, we're Christmas Eve people um, at the Locke household. And let me give you like a glimpse into Christmas Eve at our house. Um, I had three brothers. Um, so there were four of us. We were nine years apart. So three years in between all of us. And uh, Christmas Eve was a little chaotic to say the least. Uh, there was a little bit of rough housing always going on. Um, my dad usually worked on Christmas Eve, so we were like lions around all the presents, uh, just waiting to pounce. Um, but we couldn't do that until dad got home. And then once dad got home, then we were um, basically just taunting him the whole time. Dad, can we start? Dad, can we start? Dad, can we start? And eventually he would say, yes, go ahead. But I think, you know, he was pretty easy to, 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 allow us to, to begin because dad was just as curious as we are or were to know what was in those gifts, right? So he was, you know, he didn't have much of the purchasing power. My mom was all of that. Any other moms do all the purchasing out there? Okay. A couple of you. Um, so as soon as dad would say go, um, it was just straight chaos. We were like lions just devouring everything in front of us and there was paper everywhere and there was boxes everywhere and then we would be done and then we would start picking up everything and start throwing it away and eventually my mom would have to go back through the trash bags and dig everything back out because we threw something that was important away, right? So our house was kind of like a National Geographic special right? Just, just straight up chaos. Now, when I went over to Jamie's house, right? Went over to Jamie's house. If our house was National Geographic, uh, her house was the Great British Bake Off, okay? <laughs> uh, we would sit in a circle. We would divide out all of the presents, okay? And then one at a time, we would open them. Right, And we'd open them and then discuss what we got and how excited we were about it and thanking each other. And then we would fold the tissue paper. And then, and then you know, is this a box that we keep? You know, and oh, it's a keep box, okay? And we put it over there. Is this, a, is this a bow that we would keep? Yes, that's a bow we keep. We'd set it over there. And then we'd crumple up the stuff we don't keep and put it in a trash bag. And now it's the next person's turn, right? And that way we got to see everything uh, that was going on. So... Great times at both homes. Um, mine was a little chaotic. Jamie's was, uh, was nice and orderly. Um, but what I want to do this morning is instead of the chaos of Christmas that I believe that most of us are part of even today, I want us to just kind of slow down. Right? I want us to step back and, and really consider Christmas. Consider what we're celebrating the most amazing thing about Christmas is that the second person of the Trinity, Jesus, the Son of God, left his place in glory and put on flesh and blood and dwelt among us. See, sometimes we're moving way too fast that we miss that, that we miss the point. And so this morning, let us just kind of slow down just enough to get a glimpse a glimpse of the one who is veiled in flesh, Jesus. So if you've got a copy of God's word, go ahead and open it to uh, 
1 John, I think I remember where I'm preaching this morning, 1 John chapter 4, verse 7 through 12. And during Advent, we've kind of kept this theme of veiled in flesh, and we've considered Jesus, the one veiled in flesh, then through the themes of Advent. So we've seen hope veiled in flesh. We've seen peace veiled in flesh. We've seen joy veiled in flesh. And this morning, we are going to consider love veiled in flesh. And as we walk through this passage, I want to show you three things that we learn about love and what that means for us today, and then especially during this time of the year. So in your Bibles, read with me 1 John chapter 4, verses 7 and 8. It says, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. So my daughter, Abigail, which she's right there, um, loves love, right? She talks about love and all the great things of love and all those types of things. And during this time of the year, she loves Hallmark Christmas movies, all right? Anybody else out there? Hallmark Christmas? Yeah, raise them with pride, right? Yeah, yeah, right? Um, But let me tell you, Hallmark has perfected a love story. Right, They've totally perfected it. It's truly amazing that they have found a way to use the same plot and then just change the characters year after year and continue to draw people in. So if you, if you, haven't, if you haven't seen a Hallmark movie, uh, the plot always goes something like this. A big city girl, right, who is a lawyer and she's engaged comes home for Christmas to her small town, right? It's a great story, right? And this town's always decorated beautifully. Like everything is right and it snows when it's supposed to snow and there's never snow on the street. It's always just where it needs to land, right? But this girl, she falls in love, right? With the small town bread maker, right? (laughs) Who's always wearing plaid, right? And, and the right color plaid, not Derek Lynch plaid, but the right color plaid, okay? And together, you know, after a little tiff that they have, they come back together and they save the town's Christmas pageant. It's always amazing. It is amazing, those stories of love. They've, they've, they've just perfected it, right? And people watch it, right? And they love it. We saw your hands out there, Okay? But I think the reason we love stories like that and we love love stories is because we all desire it, right? We love love. We desire love. Even the person whose heart was two times too small, which is the Grinch, desired love. But let's be honest. We want more than the sentimental, sappy movie plots with chestnuts roasting and, and, and perfect white Christmas love. No, we want a love that's, that's deeper than just the feels of love. And in order to find that, we must truly dig, dig deep into our understanding and our knowledge of the truths of our faith. If we truly want to understand love and what it means and what it looks like. 
So the first lesson that we learn from this passage about love, and this is our first point today, is God is the source of love. So here we go, question time. Where does love come from? God. Right, good job. Love comes from God. Verse 7 tells us that. For love is from God. And another way to think about this word from is to think that it flows from God. This is an idea that God is the headwaters of love. So what's the headwaters? Uh, I take a group of people every year. I've done it for the past six years uh, to Buena Vista, Colorado. And we minister uh, to whitewater rafting guides while we're there. And while we're there, we get the opportunity to go on the Arkansas River and do some whitewater rafting. Now, I've always stood there in amazement as I look at this river and I just see this water continually flow by. And I was like, is there a shutoff valve? You know, where does this thing begin? And so I looked it up. It begins in a town called Leadville, Colorado, which is just northwest of Buena Vista, up in the mountain range up there. It's all snow melt that creates the Arkansas River. And that is the headwaters of the Arkansas River. So when we see what John is saying here, he's saying love is from God. He's telling us that God is the headwaters of love. He is the source of love. Love begins with him. So what that means is that every time that we experience genuine love, its source then is from God. And here's something really important to understand. And it's, and it's really crucial that we wrap our minds and our hearts around this, that God is the source of love. But it's not just that he's the source of love, but he is love. Like, look at verse 8. He is love. It's not something that he invented. It's not something that he just does. It's what he is. See, God is love. And this love begins in eternity with God who loves the Son. And the Son who loves the Father. And the Spirit who loves the Son and who loves the Father. It's this triune God who's at the center of all things, whose very being is love. So does God do loving things? Yes. Yes, he does, but it's more than that. See, this is what we must get our minds wrapped around this morning, thinking deeply about our faith. It's not just what he does, but love is what he is. So when we know this in our hearts, and we know this in our minds, then we can truly understand that all that he does is marked by love. All that he does is marked by love, because love is who he is. Love would not exist without God. So if we can get our minds wrapped around that idea and, 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 and allow the, the sentimental, nonsense, worldly type of love out of our minds, then we can begin to experience biblical love. Love that is sacrificial. Love that, that doesn't have itself as its center. And when we understand love in that way, then we're starting to enter a divine space 
where we experience at some minute level God himself. So then the question that we must ask, or not the question that we must ask, but the question that, that we begin to ask is how do I know God is love and loves me? See, this is a simple question that, that people begin to ask when they're going through trials, when they're going through rough times. It's the idea if, if, if love is simply the sentimental nonsense of the world, we can, we can fall prey to the idea that this God of love would never allow hurt. This God of love would never allow trials or heartaches or suffering in our lives. But then when he does allow those things, those pains, to happen and God's purposes and allowing it are unclear in our own minds, it's easy to say, God, where are you? You're this God of love. Do I have to go through all of this pain? Do, do you still love me? So how do we know? How do I know that God is love and loves me? Point number two today, Jesus is proof of love. Read verse nine with me. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us. In this, the love of God was made visible. God's love was made clear to us. How did he make it clear to us? Keep reading. It says that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. Verse 10, in this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation uh, for our sin. How do I know God loves me? Jesus. Jesus. God wanted to make his perfect eternal love clear to us. He wanted us to see the greatness and the beauty of his love. So, so let's slow down. Let's slow down this morning for one second. Don't miss this. This is the story of Christmas. If you can, I want you to just think. Think about what Jesus left to come here to do for us. And all the worship music that we sang this morning pointed that direction. Look at what he left. The glories of heaven. He always existed in perfect unity with the Father and the Holy Spirit in perfect love. He left the realms of heaven where hundreds of thousands of angels are proclaiming his greatness, are singing his praises. He was receiving all the glory and honor that he was due. And he willingly came, not to a nice place, not to a throne, and not to a kingdom where he got to rule and reign, but he came born to a teenage girl who was poor and scared. He was laid in a dirty manger surrounded by smelly animals and he took on human nature. God took on human nature and he experienced pain and he experienced heartache and he experienced weakness like we do. So slow down and think about that. God. Who was that baby in the manger just lying there, possibly crying? His coming to us is an unimaginable act of love. So how do we know that God loves us? How do I know that God loves me? I look to Bethlehem. I look to the life of Jesus. I look to the cross. 
I look to the resurrection of Jesus. How do I know that God loves me? All I have to do is look at Jesus. See, his love isn't dependent on something great that I've done, or his love's not dependent on my great loving him back because I know that I'm terrible at loving God. But it's because God's love for me. So how was that love demonstrated? It's a big word in this text. It's called propitiation, right? And it simply refers to what Jesus did on the cross. On the cross, Jesus took our place, All the wrath, all the judgment that I deserve because of my sin, Jesus took. And he says, I will take this. He took my wrath instead so that I might receive forgiveness. So that I might stand before God as righteous because I'm covered in the blood of Christ. So that we may receive God's mercy and grace, and forgiveness. So that moment on the cross is God's ultimate display of his love because it gives us a glimpse of how big God's love is. So now, there will be days that we'll be tempted to ask and to question, does God still love me? Right, those days where I fall back into sin, where life is just going terribly. You feel like no one understands or no one cares. You feel all alone. Nothing is going right for you. And you begin to wonder, where is God's love? Does he really love me? And I challenge us to do this. Look at the manger. Think about what Jesus did to come here from heaven to earth. Look at the cross and think about the price that was paid. Think about the suffering servant, the one who died for our behalf. Jesus is proof of God's love. Let us never forget that. And then finally, the third truth that we're going to learn about love in this passage is that we are the image of love. Okay, 1 John chapter 4, verse 11 and 12. It says, Beloved. If God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. And if we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. So what we've learned is God is the source of love. Jesus is the proof of love. And then John states it very clearly. If we love one another, God abides in us or he dwells in us, he lives in us. And his love is perfected in us. His love is made complete in us. So we are the image of his love. It says here that no one has ever seen God. So yes, several have, according to scriptures, have seen glimpses of God, right? Moses saw his back. Isaiah saw a vision of God. But nobody has ever seen the fullness of God. And even though no one has ever seen God... When we love as he did, we demonstrate his love to those around us. Then what happens? We begin to reveal who God is and his love for them. So to love or not love is not an option. 
for followers of Christ. It's not something that we can decide, you know what, not going to love today. Or I am going to love today. It's not, it's not an option for us. See, John clearly states in verse 8, he says, anyone who does not love does not know God. There's, there's no way that you can know and experience God's love and then not turn and demonstrate it to those around us. It's not possible. How, how do I know this in my own life? Because I know who I am. I know myself better than anyone else knows me. You know yourself better than anyone else knows you. And I know about myself that I am an enemy of God. Despite anything in and of myself, I can't love God better to be a better person. I can't, I can't earn any of that. And God still loves me. While I was still a sinner, Christ died for me. And when you know this love, not sentimental stuff, but when you know the love of God, even when you don't deserve it, the only thing that we can do is do the same for others. It's a driving force. If you know God's love has changed your life, then you'll be driven to share that love with others, with everyone in the world. Now, this is what's interesting about verse 8. It's somewhat of a check engine light for Christ followers, right? What do you do when you, your, your check engine light turns on in your car? Hold on, let me ask that. What should you do when your check engine light comes on in your car, right? You don't put a piece of tape over it and pretend that it's not there, right, or put a sticker, right? No, you, you go figure it out. You go check it out. You take it to somebody who knows, right? Somebody who can help you diagnose what's the problem. And verse 8 is kind of a check engine light of our heart. And when we recognize that I don't love everyone, that check engine light comes up because I, that, that meaning I don't love everybody means that I don't know God. It's kind of serious, And so we need to dig then deep into our souls and find out what's wrong. Who is it? Why is it? What needs to change within my heart so that I can love everyone around me? So let's close this morning with this. At Christmas, we will hear all kinds of people talk about love as God's defining characteristic. And they'll use verse 8 and see only that description of God. But it's not. See, God is much more than just love. He is spirit. He is light. He is justice. Right? He is righteousness. He is mercy. He is grace. He, is, he is, has so many more defining characteristics. But if we only see God as love and ignore other attributes of God especially the defining characteristic, which is he is holy, then that allows us to then ignore our sin. God is only love. No, God is love and he is holy. He is set apart. He is so much more than anything that we can imagine. And when we ignore his holiness, it allows us to ignore our sin, which is the point of Christmas. 
It's the point of Christmas. See, Jesus came, gave his life, did what he did on the cross because of our sin. So we can't ignore God's holiness, but we can recognize God's love and what he's done for us. Then on the other hand, if we only focus on the truth that I am the image of God, then the image of, sorry, the image of God's love here on earth, and that all is required of me is to be kind and to love people and to do good for others, while ignoring, explaining their need for a savior, their need for a savior because of their great sin, then I miss out on what I've been called to do as a follower of Christ. So we can't just live good lives and say, good job. No, we've got to help people find this message of hope, this message of love and joy and peace that we see in Jesus. So God is love. And what we must do is show that love to others and lovingly and compassionately point them to Jesus, the proof of his love. And pointing out our need for him because of our sin. So then what we have to do is push aside this world's view of love. And point everyone to love who is God. Who changed the world through his son Jesus. Can we do that? See shaking heads out there. Excellent. Let's pray.